to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. For the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. So what does the Bible tell us all today? Jesus is the only way to be saved. Writing to early persecuted followers of Christ, Peter says that we come to him a living stone. This stone imagery is used all throughout the Old Testament. In Psalm 118 as well as twice in Isaiah. And it has a messianic tone to it, a a prophesied Messiah that was going to come. The New Testament authors, including Jesus himself, pick up on the stone imagery and they declare that that stone prophesied in the Old Testament, the Messiah, is none other than Jesus Christ himself. But Peter also calls him the living stone. If you guys have ever seen stones, they're not living. Far from it. You all live in the D.C. area, and there's a lot of stones there in the, in, uh, the capital of America as memorials. None of those are stones are living, but they're stones that memorialize men or women who've lived great lives. Our God needs no such memorial, because Jesus Christ is not dead. We don't remember Jesus because our God is living. Scripture, in fact, says that He, at this very moment, is interceding for you all right now. When we prayed for Jeremiah, Jesus himself, we were joining Christ as Christ intercedes for that baby boy. This is the reality of our God. He is a living stone. Not only is he a living stone, but Peter says that there are two building projects that that Jesus is a part of. The one project is by the other builders, and the other project is by God. The builders look at Christ and don't find him suitable. But in God's eyes, God looks at Jesus and says, this is my chosen and precious son. Many of you have done home renovations. So you know what it's like to go to the Home Depot or Lowe's, walk down every aisle and find that perfect item for your home renovation. So you look at that countertop and, nah, it doesn't quite fit my style, or that backsplash tile, and it's like, ah, you reject it. In the same way, the builders look at Christ. No, they despise him, they reject him. So for those of you who've ever been rejected, if you've ever been despised, You're in good company. Your Savior was rejected. Your Savior was despised. But our God chose him and found him precious in his sight. Not only that, Peter says that we take that same nature. He says, you like living stones. You yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house. We take on that living nature of Jesus himself. We who were once dead are now made alive. 
And we are now part of that spiritual building project. Now, we confessed earlier about the communion of saints. I don't know if you guys ever thought about it. It's not, communion of saints isn't us taking communion together. Communion of saints is actually all the saints, all the followers of Christ, from the earliest days, even pre-Christ, those who look to Christ as their hope, to those of us today who trust in Christ, and those who are to come, Lord willing, like Jeremiah, who will put his faith in Christ. We share in a communion together. We are united. We are all being built up as a spiritual house with Christ as a giant cornerstone. The cornerstone was the first thing laid in antiquity to be built. It was the strongest stone. It was perfectly cut. And if that stone was a little bit off or a little bit tilted, the entire structure would collapse. Christ is that initial cornerstone that we are all being built upon him. So you might feel like you're just a stone thrown about. You're just strewn about on the ground. Maybe you just kind of show up to church like, ah, I just kind of show up at church and maybe sing a few songs and maybe give a little money and go home. No, Christ says, through Peter says, you are being built into a spiritual house. And I love that Peter says, we don't build a church. Pastor Q, Pastor Mimi, the elders, the session, they don't build the church. Christ builds the church. Scripture says that we are being built. If you've ever watched the old movie Field of Dreams, it says that if you build it, they will come. God says, if you come, I will build it. This is our hope that as we come to our living God, He will build us up. And as we come to the living stone, it says it was rejected by God, rejected but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. And we are to be a holy priesthood now our response to the stone, it says, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. But it says that the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Our response to this living stone dictates our relationship with the living God as well as our eternal destiny. Jesus himself said in John fourteen six. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's no one else. Being filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 4, Peter says this. The Peter, the same writer here, says this. This Jesus is a stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So how many other names can we be saved by? Zero. Scripture is pretty clear that there's no other name by which we can be saved. Some people will say, well, if you're a good person, you might get to heaven. Don't we all worship the same God? Absolutely not. There's only one God who came and died for our sins once and for all. There's no other name by which we might be saved. This Jesus, who the builders rejected, has become the cornerstone and is the only way for anyone to be saved. And we've seen other examples where something uh, that was initially rejected has become the cornerstone. Sorry to use another New England Patriots thing, but this is a picture of Tom Brady. (laughs) All right? Tom Brady. Drafted in the sixth round... Pick number 199. For those who aren't familiar with football, that means 
Teams passed over, over multiple times. 198 players were picked before him. Rejected. But now, he has become a cornerstone despite everyone's, to everyone's dismay, and certainly Redskins fans' dismay, he has become a cornerstone in the NFL and for the New England Patriots franchise. He's been playing for 19 seasons. Almost as long as I've been a Christian, you guys have been playing football. <laughs> Nine Super Bowl appearances, six Super Bowl victories, initially rejected, but now the cornerstone. Coffee. Some of you might be surprised but coffee was initially rejected. Mm-hmm, I'm telling you. Mm-hmm. Oh, don't be taking away my latte. Because of its stimulating effects, a theological council in Mecca in the 15th century said, we have to ban coffee. In Cairo, Egypt, warehouses that stored coffee beans were destroyed. Lord have mercy. In fact, the Ethiopian Orthodox Church, Ethiopia, where a lot of beans are grown, Banned coffee until about the 18th century. Some of y'all can't go a day with coffee. For some, coffee is the way, the truth, and the life. No one enters a 9 a.m. meeting without it. But initially rejected, but now a cornerstone of daily life. In the same way, Jesus Christ was initially rejected but now is living and is the cornerstone. And Jesus Christ is the only way for us to be saved. Now, for those of you who are paying attention, that last part of verse 8 might bother you a bit. It says this, They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. This hints at the doctrine of predestination. And predestination typically will just say, you know, God has chosen someone for eternal life or eternal death. And for a lot of people, that bothers them. And one of the objections against Christianity is, I can't believe in a God that creates people just to doom them to a sinner's hell. I can't believe in that. And so you might ask, and it might leave us puzzling, so which one is it? Do we have free will? Or is God sovereign? The answer is yes. There are three classical Protestant views on predestination. Um, And without getting too far into it, none of them are perfect. Because this is a mystery. How can you wrestle with a God who knows all and is sovereign? And yet we have free will. We have choices. And our choices really matter. It is a mystery. And we have to hold those things in tension. But what's clear in every view of predestination is that grace is absolutely necessary in each one. There's nothing that I can do, that you can do, or that we can do to convince God to save us. Salvation is a free gift and something that we must accept. And we also have to hold this intention with what Peter wrote in 2 Peter 3.9, where he says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, this promise being his return but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. This is our God's heart. We often think of the doctrine of predestination as like God just randomly choosing who's going to go to hell and who's going to go to heaven. I like what C.S. Lewis says is there's only two types of people. 
One that says to God, Thy will be done. And the other group, that God says to them, Thy will be done. Another Christian theologian said, Heaven is a door, I'm sorry, hell is a door whose lock is on the inside. If you want to choose Christ, as our brother Sung prayed earlier, that we can choose to hear his words and obey. We have a choice. Your choices actually do matter. Remember, we only have one cornerstone. There's no other name by which we can be saved. Jesus is the only way to be saved. So Jesus Christ is the only way to be saved. What might that mean for those who follow him? What significance does that hold for us? What is its impact? The Bible says this in verse 9. But you, let's say that together. Say it, but say, say I, but I, all right, ready? But I, and let's say but we, but we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Let's say that again with the I, though, all right? But I am a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. So Jesus is the only way to be saved. And through Jesus, we are claimed. The Bible gives us four terms for us. A chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and a people for his own possession. This is who we are. And that's why I had you guys say it, because this is the truth of Scripture. This is what Scripture tells us, that this is who we are. Through Christ, he lived the life that we couldn't live. He died the death that we deserve to die. And he rose again victorious, and now interceding on behalf of all of us. And he claims us as his own. What titles have you been given? Whether as a child, maybe at school, maybe at your workplace, what titles have you been given? Maybe stupid, loser, failure, not enough, depressed, anxious, anxiety, ADHD. What titles have we been given? Maybe some of it's Hard worker, excellent employee. And we feel like we have to continue to live up to those titles. What titles keep you up at night? What titles are you like, I need to change that. If I work hard enough, I can change that. Brothers and sisters, let God define you. You are chosen, you are royal, you are a priest. You are holy. You are his own special possession. For those of you who've ever purchased or sold a car, this form should look familiar. The next slide shows a a form here. This form should look familiar. Anyone ever sold a car before or bought one, had to fill out this form? This is a title transfer form. For those of you who don't drive yet, What happens is if I own a car, I have to take this to the Motor Vehicle Administration, and if I'm going to give someone my car, I have to sign it over. So I fill out my information, and I sign it, and I give it 
to who the new owner of the car will be. That title transfer, once I sign it, becomes permanent. That vehicle is no longer mine. It's whoever I gave it to. If I receive a car, if I receive that title, that title is now mine. These titles that God used for the Old Testament saints is now, through Christ, transferred to us. They're permanently ours. God said about his chosen people in Exodus 19, these were the words that he used. You are a chosen priesthood, a royal priesthood, a, a people for my own possession. These are the words that God used for his people. And now through Christ, they are ours. We're defined by these titles. Now some of you might look at your life you might say, I don't, I don't feel worthy of these titles. Neither was Israel. Exodus 19, this is what God said about him. Exodus 19, he said that you were a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for my own possession. And after giving of the Ten Commandments, the people made a golden calf. God said, you're my own special possession. And they said, Moses has been gone too long. And they made a golden calf. And they worshiped and said, this is our God. This is the one that brought us out of Egypt. They turned so quickly from God's promises and God's titles for them and the identity God gave them and formed and fashioned an idol in their own image. And yet the golden calf is our story, isn't it? Where God says, you are mine. I claim you. I chose you. As Pastor Q spoke a few weeks ago, you are mine. You are my own special possession. And yet, when things don't go our way, we want to make an idol after our own image, a God that we can control, a God that we can say, this is my God. And yet, those idols often become ones that enslave us, don't they? These things that we so seek to to control and and dictate our own destiny end up being things that, that dominate our lives. Even our children can become idols. A blessing, a gift from God can become something that takes us away from the Lord. A job opportunity that the Lord gave you that you probably prayed for. As the Lord, please give me that job. And then we get that job and then suddenly that job now becomes our idol. Even our own healing can become idols. We want the healing more than God himself. God is like, I want to be with you. It's like, I want your healing. I want what's in your hand. I don't want you. But this is our title. You are chosen. You are royal. You are holy. Or maybe you look at your life and say, my life is in shambles, bro. What are you talking about? That These titles sound great, but look at my life. Remember, these promises were also given in Isaiah 43, for when the people would be in exile. They look at their life like, where is God? But through the book of Isaiah, they would be reminded, no, no, this, your circumstances do not define you. Your identity is you are royal, you are chosen, you are his, you are a priest, which means we mediate the presence of God. When we pray, thy kingdom come on earth, that's through you, that's through me, that's through us. We are God's holy temple. Whether you're 11 years old like my daughter, or whether you're 40, 50, 60, 70 years old, doesn't matter how old you are, Christ through the Holy Spirit lives in you and you can mediate the presence of God. You can bring healing on this earth. You can bring forgiveness on this earth. This is who we are. A chosen people, his own special possession. 
So Jesus is the only way to be saved. And through Christ, we are claimed. Now what must our response be to this? How then are we to live? What should we do as a response to this word? The Bible says this at the end of verse 9. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Through Jesus is the only way to be saved. And through Jesus we are claimed. And this must be proclaimed. We're not simply saved to feel good about ourselves and say that we have eternal life. This is something we have to proclaim. This is something that as mediators, as priests, as those who have the right to mediate God's presence on this earth, we are called to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. I don't know about you guys, but I told you I got saved 24 years ago. And until I met my brother Danny, I was in darkness. I wasn't just some dude that was in good shape and like, you know, God was extracurricular for me. He wasn't icing on the cake. I had no cake. I needed God. I was absolutely living in darkness. Like those boys in the cave, I needed a Savior. I don't know about you guys, but I don't know how long it's been since you've experienced and remember Christ calling you, calling you by name, saying, I choose you. You are my own special possession. I don't know how long it's been. But maybe we need to take a moment and remember that. Remember when he called us, like, God, you've actually taken me from darkness. You brought me into your marvelous light. This is who our God is. And that news, brothers and sisters, has to be shared. That news has to be proclaimed. That news has to be given to other people. Some of you might have heard the name Jonas Salk. He was uh, one of the uh, leading um, polio researchers um, back in the 1950s. DM, if you can go to the next slide. This is, uh, this is a picture of, oh, all right, the animation didn't work. Um, so anyway, his polio vaccine was a success. <laughs> uh, Jonas Salk was a scientist in the 1950s, and he was the leading researcher um, against polio. And polio was a debilitating disease, often leading to death or paralysis, especially for children. And it was one of the, the scariest um, health crises in America in the 1950s. But Jonas Salk um, discovered the cure for it. He got a vaccine. He developed it and discovered it. And when he was asked, who owns a patent for this, for this vaccine? Jonas Salk's reply was, the people, I guess. There is no patent. Can you patent the sun? His whole idea was that this is a life-saving thing. It needs to be, it needs to be given out. There's estimates that if he actually patented it and actually profited from it, he could have made billions in today's dollars. But he had to let it out. For those of you who have children who suffer from, um, who have peanut allergies, I know it makes y'all angry when the EpiPen dude is like, you know, jacking up your prices and you're wishing that they would make a, a, you know, like a generic, cheaper model, but through a complicated factor, he owns the patents or something like that and the prices are high. And we know how that makes when someone's got a life-saving, for those of us with children with peanut allergies, that's a life-saving thing. That's a matter of life and death. And someone's like, I'm profiting off of this. But Jonas Salk was like, no, this has to be shared. And it changed. The world polio was nearly eradicated. 
And so that's what we're to do. In the same way, we have to share this life-saving secret, this good news of Jesus Christ. Remember, we said there's no other name by which you've been saved. Buddha will not save you. Allah will not save you. Not believing in a God will not save you. Believing in a God will not save you. Only Jesus Christ is the way to eternal life and abundant life in this life. He is the only way. And this has to be shared. And that's why worship is so important. What we're doing here is not a game. It's not just a random activity. In worship, in the church, in some miraculous, mysterious way, the barrier between the now and the not yet, the present, the now, and eternity becomes thin. We get to enter together into the presence of our glorious God. And for a moment, for an hour and a half, we get to become who we are actually meant to be and get a glimpse of who our God is and who we are in light of His eternity. But that's not the end. This is like the huddle. Some of y'all are going to go home and watch football today. No one watches football for the huddle. You don't just watch 22 dudes standing like this. Like, wow, that was a great huddle. What were they talking about in there? No, you, you watch football because of the result of that huddle. When they break that huddle and they, ex- and when they execute that play, that's what we're watching for. This is like the huddle. This is the gathering of believers. No one's watching for this. This is for us to be strengthened. This is for us to be encouraged, to know what the play is, to be reminded, oh yeah, I'm supposed to go 10 steps that way and turn in, not turn right. That's what it was. No one's watching for this huddle. We have to break the huddle, brothers and sisters. We have to execute the play. We have to proclaim the excellencies of Him who's brought us out of darkness into His marvelous light. This is our call. This is what we must do. And this is what the world is relying on us to do. We are to evangelize. Now some of you might think, isn't evangelism a unique spiritual gift? And yeah, in Ephesians 4, Paul does say this, that he says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. So yes, to a certain degree, there are some people with a unique gift to be evangelists. But also, Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians, he wrote these words. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to to us the message of reconciliation. This is not just for a few, all of us. All of us, God is beseeching to share his good news, the only way to be saved. Now, I don't want to add another to-do list to your already overscheduled lives. We're already busy. This isn't something to add to our to-do list. But brothers and sisters, this is the only way for your family member, for your neighbor, for your coworker, for your friend in the softball league, for that friend at your whatever else you do, Bible study or whatever it might be. It is the only way for us to be saved. So the Bible tells us all this. Through Jesus Christ, we are claimed to proclaim. So what does this have to do with the Thai soccer team? 
Shortly after, they were rescued. An all-too-familiar scene resulted. Media organizations jockeyed for the rights to the story. Even before the boys were out of the cave, the Thailand Tourism Authority made plans to convert that area into a major tourist destination. Amazing. An American news network had vans waiting at all 12 boys' homes when they were released from the hospital to capture their reaction when they got home. Today, there's an industry at the side of the cave that has a museum, tours, espresso, and T-shirts. We witness a miracle, and we want to monetize it. This is the all-too-familiar human condition. Brothers and sisters, we're not merely pretty moral people who need a little help. Like those boys in the cave, we're desperate. The Bible says in Isaiah 53, 6, that all we like sheep, that's all of us, have gone astray, everyone turning his own way. Romans 3.23 says that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. An unattributed quote goes like this. You can go to the next slide. Jesus did not come to make bad people good, but to make dead people alive. He didn't merely come to make us a little bit more moral. He didn't come to make us just a little bit good. He came because we were dead and we were desperate for him. Like those boys in the cave and their coach, we needed rescue. Humanity needs rescue. What are you going to tell the parents of Jeremiah? Sorry. Tough luck. When someone gets that, that call in the middle of the night, or someone gets that scan of the MRI, there is no other hope. There is no other way of salvation than through Jesus Christ. He is our only hope. We are desperate. And praise God that Jesus, through Jesus, he takes us out of darkness into his marvelous light. In fact, we'll go to the next slide. The, the light, is so, the light is, was so bright for the boys that when they came out, they had to have sunglasses because they were in the cave for 18 days. It was so bright that it would have damaged their eyes. And this is what we are like. We went from darkness into his marvelous light, and this must be proclaimed. So why is my family going to Thailand? Why am I taking five kids and my wife and going halfway across the world to Thailand? The country has 67 million people and has had nearly 200 years of Protestant missionary efforts and is still less than 1% Christian. To give you some comparisons, Atlanta has um, a population... If you can go to the next slide, Atlanta has a population of um, 6 million people. It's okay, none of the animations are working. So Atlanta has a population of 6 million people and 4,000 churches. Seoul has a population of 25 million and 8,000 churches. Bangkok has 10 million people and only 400 churches. Next slide, another comparison. South Korea had their first missionaries in about 1832 or 1866, depending on the source. And they are now 29% Christian, praise God. Thailand has had missionaries four years earlier than South Korea and is still less than 1% Christian. Brothers and sisters, these aren't merely numbers. These are eternal souls. Many of them never having heard the gospel. Many of them never having had a, a clear presentation 
of the life-saving good news of Jesus Christ. So my family and I, we're going uh, with United World Missions. They are an organization based out of Charlotte, North Carolina, and their aim is to partner with local leaders to plant and establish healthy churches, and through these healthy churches, to impact the nation and change the world. And our prayer is that the Lord of the harvest, that this will be the time, after nearly more than 190 years of missionary efforts, that this will be the time that people from the kingdom of Thailand will populate the kingdom of heaven. I'm going to the last slide, Dean. Through Jesus Christ, we are claimed to proclaim. Brothers and sisters, through Christ, we are claimed to proclaim. He calls us his own special possession. And this good news has to be proclaimed. This good news has to be shared. Many people looked at that Thai cave rescue and thought, that's a lot of effort for 12 boys and one coach. Our God is a God who leaves 99 to go after one. Aren't you glad that the Good Shepherd came after you? I'm glad the Good Shepherd came after me. Through Jesus Christ, we are claimed to proclaim. Christ claims us as his own, and through his blood, through the obedience to the new covenant, we are mediators of God's presence. And through Jesus, we are claimed to proclaim. So as we spend a couple moments in prayer shortly, remember this. Through Jesus, we are claimed to proclaim. Let's bow hearts and heads for a moment of prayer. Jesus, thank you for this reminder through your word. that you claim us. There's nothing lovely in us. There's nothing worthy or righteous within us. And yet, God, you claim us as your own. Thank you that you call all of us in this room who follow you chosen, royal, set apart, priests and priestesses for your kingdom, your own special possession. And so, God, may we be ones who proclaim this good news not as an extra part of our to-do list, not as something that, we, an activity we have to do, but just out of an overflow of who we are, men and women saved by grace. Father, I pray for those who are going through a difficult time in this room. Lord, would you speak to them who they are? You define us. You are the one who created us. You get to define us. Others don't define us. Our workplaces don't define us. Our school does not define us. Our grades do not define us. Our salary does not define us. Our titles do not define us, God. You alone define who we are. You alone get to tell us what we were created to be. You alone get to determine our value. So would you speak that right now over those who need to hear those words that you are chosen You are royal. You are set apart. You are mine. You are my special possession. I own everything. I've created everything. And yet, I choose you as my special possession. My dearly beloved son or daughter. And I pray for those of us in this room who have not had the courage to share this good news with others, God. 
Maybe we've thought, maybe there are other ways to be saved. Lord, give us the courage to share with those that we love. There's no other name by which we can be saved except through Jesus Christ. Thank you for your your word today, God. May we hear and may we respond. Let's all stand real quick. We have time to respond. Daniel and the praise team are going to lead us in a song. And uh, Pastor Mimi and Pastor Q will come up and you know we'll lay hands on you and pray for you if you need prayer. But I'd like you, if, um, if the Holy Spirit has moved you through this word, just to come to the front. And this isn't so much about being filled or anointed, but recommitting ourselves to our, to our purpose. go and execute the plan not to be stuck in the huddle but to execute what God has called us to do maybe some of us need to recommit and say God I've allowed too many things to define me I've lost sight of my identity would you speak that to me again so they're going to lead us in a song and if that's you why don't you just come forward and we'll pray for you but the main thing is for you to pray and say God use me Use me. Suffering children, they're safe in only your arms. There's no one else. There's no other home. So let's do that right now.